0: Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up.
1: Really glad you're with us for the Tuesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for you today. The first two, international in terms of our content. The third one a little bit closer to home, but certainly crazy. Jim, let's start with the good news. We actually have some of that again today, and uh, that's related to the brand new Republican majority in the House of Representatives, specifically as it relates to getting answers as to how the Biden administration got it so wrong on Afghanistan. Not only uh, its anticipation of what the Afghan government and the Afghan military could do before the U.S.'s pledge withdrawal date, but how everything else was handled as well. Uh, Adam Credo over at uh, Free Beacon with the story. The Biden administration is withholding scores of documents and communications related to its botched withdrawal from Afghanistan. According to the brand new chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee, that's Michael McCall of Texas, who says, quote, I will not tolerate the Biden administration's blatant obstruction of numerous congressional requests relating to the disastrous Afghanistan withdrawal. He says Democrats have utterly failed to hold this administration accountable when our veterans and gold star wives deserve answers. He says Republicans are ramping up oversight efforts meant to expose how the U.S. ignored intelligence indicating the country would fall uh, to the Taliban. The State Department has refused for nearly a year, so even under Democratic majorities in the House and Senate, uh, nearly a year and a half to hand over information about how many Americans remain stranded in the country. Uh, Intelligence reports warning the country could collapse, internal assessments about the threat posed by ISIS and the Taliban, and on and on it goes. And, of course, uh, documents related to the deadly strike at Hamid Karzai International Airport that killed 13 American service personnel. So, Jim, uh, hopefully Mike McCall can at least raise enough noise about this to get the Biden administration uh, uh, cooperating.
0: Greg, I've been thinking about the dynamics between the two parties. And if you think back to the summer of 2021 during the debacle of the Afghanistan withdrawal, you could find a lot of Democrats on Capitol Hill who were willing to be critical of the Biden administration. You might even be able to find uh, some Democrats who were really ready to let Millie have it really ready to have Secretary Austin have it um, there. There was a desire to find somebody to be the scapegoat, to be the person to blame. Now, one of the problems was and we did hear in the hearings that were subsequent to it. Milly Austin and the rest of the Democratic official uh, rest of the defense uh, advisors to President Biden said that they should keep Bagram Air Base open, that they should keep it, you know, more than one site for the evacuation of personnel. Uh, Biden did not agree with that. And in fact, Biden said he was never told to do that by any of his military advisors. Now, Greg, when Joe Biden says, I don't remember that, I do take him at his word. He's now 80 years old and it's a possibility that he genuinely means it. Now, the question is, does Joe Biden remember what he is told in briefings uh, when he you know, has to make decisions and things like that? The Democrats were pretty ir- irked about this, but they knew this issue would fade from the headlines. And it did after several, you know, really... Uh, several weeks, maybe even months of rough news coverage. Eventually, the national attention moved on to other things, and the Democratic Party in Congress was not going to make life any more difficult for the Biden administration uh, than it was than it had to. That it wanted to give fifty lashes with a wet noodle. They wanted to express their disapproval, and then they quickly went to, wanted to move on. Look, it's very we're very early into this session of Congress, but so far I'm impressed with. Uh, congressman michael mccall he really comes across as the serious non-preening non um showboating hard-nosed hard-thinking critic that the of the biden administration that the republican party should have uh and i'm glad he's at the house foreign affairs committee and i think he's going to get um a you know these hearings on this are probably going to be much more productive probably going to be much more confrontational but i think they're going to actually generate more light than heat unlike the other ones and uh Looking forward to that. That's one of the advantages of having Republicans running
1: uh, committees that can do oversight. I just hope that, though, there is a bipartisan approach to this. Remember the IRS uh, scandal uh, Mm -hmm. and Obama fired the acting uh, IRS guy and then there was uh – a hearing, it was a House committee that the Republicans controlled, and the Democrats were completely outraged at the first hearing uh, that that would happen at the IRS. And then at every subsequent hearing, they attacked the Republicans for staying on the issue. So uh, hopefully uh, it goes a little better than that because. Uh you know, as you get closer to an election day, uh, holding your own party's uh, and own leader's feet to the fire gets a little dicier. And so we'll see we'll see how long that lasts. But if there's any issue uh, from the early days of the Biden administration that needs that kind of scrutiny, it's got to be this one. On to our wonderful sponsor for the day, and that is Rocket Money. You know, you get some of these great free trials sometimes. Hey, you get 30 days risk-free. But what happens, of course, is that if you don't actually stop it within those 30 days, then those subscriptions start uh, piling up, even though you don't use it. And they're usually just uh, low enough cost each month that you don't notice it. But it adds up. If you need to save some money, let Rocket Money get to work and save you some money.
0: Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending, and it helps you lower your bills all in one place. Turns out that more than 80% of people have some subscription that they just plain forgot about. Well, Rocket Money will quickly and easily identify your subscriptions for you, so you can stop paying for the ones you don't want. Rocket Money makes canceling subscriptions as easy as a click of a button.
1: So stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com/martini. That's rocketmoney.com/martini. Again, rocketmoney.com/martini. All right, Jim, on to our bad martini now. And this one is definitely bad. Uh, Yesterday, we talked about uh, the fight over sending tanks to Ukraine. And as that plays out, uh, of course, anybody who's been paying close attention knows we've been sending a lot of military equipment, weaponry, and even down to helmets uh, to Ukraine to help with the fight. But that means we're sending out a lot of stuff that we would have used for wartime if needed. And we're not in a position to have that stuff. If we need to use military action, in fact, the Center for Strategic and International Studies, in a project led by Seth Jones, the vice president over there, says that we are in strategic peril when it comes to our own weapons inventory. Uh, He says that our defense industrial base is running at maximum capacity, but that capacity is currently fixed at the peacetime levels we have grown accustomed to. And while the U.S. isn't technically at war in Ukraine, we are burning through ammunition and weapons at a wartime pace. And that's not sustainable. Hats off, by the way, to Josh over at Hot Air for uh, collating a lot of this. Uh, meanwhile... Some people say, well, we were at the same level of production during the Afghanistan war. And Seth Jones points out, yeah, well, we weren't using a lot of missiles and and other things that Ukraine is. We were mainly troop heavy, uh, taking out pockets of terrorists one at a time. Uh, Meanwhile, it's going to take seven years to replenish what we've given to the Ukrainians in terms of javelin shoulder-fired missiles and anti-aircraft stinger systems. And by the way, he says, if we got uh, pulled into a confrontation with the Chinese uh, around the uh, Straits of uh, Taiwan— We would run out of critical munitions right now in literally less than a week. Jim, if we're going to help people, and obviously a lot of people think we should be helping the Ukrainians right now, we can't leave ourselves completely vulnerable. So we've got to ramp it up, and nobody seems to be all that concerned about it.
0: Yeah, it is now pretty much indisputable. We are in a proxy war with Russia. We are very thankful that it's not American soldiers doing the fighting and dying, but The Ukraine army is effectively armed by us and our NATO allies when they feel like getting around to it. That's a shot at Germany. See yesterday's podcast for more details on that. (laughs) Um, But basically, we are at war with Russia. We're just not doing the shooting and the fighting. And, you know, because of Russians' aggression, because of Putin's, you know, defiance of international law, because of their brutality, because of their cruelty because of their nuclear saber-rattling, these are all good reasons to stand up to to Russia. But you can't do it on the cheap. You cannot constantly keep sending weapons to Ukraine and restock and resupply at your leisure or at pace with the traditional priorities of spending priorities of a Democratic presidency. Weirdly enough, considering how there's now a Republican House, this would be an area where you think the Biden administration would be able to find uh, some bipartisan agreement, recognize, you know what, we're going to have to... uh, restock. We're going to have to restock quickly. Um, We're sending over a lot and they're being used very quickly so we're going to have to, you know, really ramp up production. I think you'd find a lot of Republicans would be fine with that. I think they'd be fine with it for job creation. I think they'd be, you know, see this is a form of spending Republicans are traditionally not too resistant to. Uh, And I think almost everybody would say we want the Army, Navy, Air Force, and Marines to all have a steady stockpile of supplies if, God forbid, they ever end up getting in a shooting war some other part of the world. So This would seem like an easy area for agreement. We're not seeing it. And I think this is part of this continuing theme in the way Joe Biden and his team around him see themselves. Um, I wrote a bit about this on the weekend. I mean, Joe Biden obviously has a very high self-regard for himself, and I am sure when it comes to the issue of Ukraine, he sees himself as Winston Churchill. Back on the campaign trail, Biden was telling us that he and just putting him in the Oval Office and Putin's days of bullying Eastern Europe are over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're such a tough guy. Oh, you're so you're going to intimidate the KGB colonel. OK, um, I think it's pretty obvious that Putin saw Biden and, and saw somebody he could run over. He saw somebody who was you know easy pickings. But here we are. And, you know, every speech he gives, Biden likes to talk about Ukraine's going to get whatever it needs. And for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power. He, he always talks this tough game. Well, if you want to be Winston Churchill, you also have to, like, mobilize like Winston Churchill. You also have to spend the money to support your army the way you know, Winston Churchill. You can't, you, know, you can't do this on the cheap. You can't strike the pose and talk the talk if you're not willing to walk the walk. This means you have to prioritize defense production. And if, unsurprisingly, Joe Biden and the team around him doesn't want to address that. They don't to acknowledge it. It's an inconvenient truth, as Al Gore would say. And uh, it's bad. Hopefully we see some movement on this front, but uh, I would not hold my breath. And you have to figure China is going to notice this. Iran is going to notice this. Every other hostile state in the world is going to notice the U.S. defense stockpiles are rapidly depleting.
1: Exactly. You know, we've got the best military in the world, but one of the things that really deters the world's worst actors from doing really bad things is knowing that we've got an arsenal that's capable of responding in an overwhelming fashion. And if they know that we can't do more than a week's worth of damage uh, at this at this point, if we were to get drawn into something like that, uh, that's not exactly much of a deterrent anymore. And uh, there's also the nuclear arsenal, which has kind of been degrading and just sitting there for a long time. A lot of people think that needs to be modernized, which is also a massive deterrent. And, of course, the left wants nothing to do with that either. So one of our best assets in terms of national security is deteriorating here, and we got to do something about it. All right, on to our crazy martini now, Jim. And this one's closer to home, but uh, not exactly pleasant. Let's go to Chicago, where unfortunately, um, in addition to bad football, we're constantly looking at weekend numbers of shootings and murders uh, that rarely seem to be getting a whole lot better. Crime is also a uh, persistent problem there. And with Lori Lightfoot, the mayor, up for re-election this year, and I don't know what the the tea leaves are in Chicago. Hopefully, there's a uh, more competent candidate in the Democratic Party, because that's the only way she's going to get beat. Uh, she was asked about crime and particularly the the robbery of street vendors in Chicago, and here is Lori Lightfoot's solution to the rampant robbery of street vendors in Chicago.
0: Heard a lot of rhetoric here, a lot of sound bites, but not a lot of concrete solutions on how we get the job done and make our residents and our workers safe. We're doing How it do you every single it? day.
1: I think the follow up is, and your solution is?
0: I just explained it. We have been in Little Village, working with those street vendors, understanding what the nature of the crime is, <clears throat> making sure that we're doing things in concert with them okay. to help them uh, 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 make sure that their money is secure, not use money, if at all possible, using uh, okay. other forms of transactions to take care of themselves.
1: So, Jim, you could make it a lower crime neighborhood, or you could tell people they can't use cash anymore. Uh, Some solutions sound better than others.
0: (laughs) It sounds like the sort of thing you'd see out of idiocracy. Well, if criminals keep stealing money, let's just ban money. (laughs) Yeah, I guess. Um, I was thinking about this, and people say we're heading towards a cashless economy. And that's, you know, yeah, yeah, I definitely see people using it less. In fact, I remember there was a restaurant in Alexandria that said it was it did not accept cash. Um, I think somebody eventually filed a, a challenge against that because people pointed out that um, homeless and very poor people generally don't have credit cards. So you're basically saying you have to have a minimum income to shop here, to dine here. And that is uh, you know, for obvious reasons a no-no. Cash, you know, I'm among those who still uses cash every now and then. I know that People say, oh, why do you do that? You know, if, you know, if you're not using your own bank's ATM, they charge you and things like that. And I think there's obvious reasons, like, you know, the, Seinfeld used to do this routine about uh, how he hated writing a check because he felt like it was a note from his mother that he has money. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have any money on me, but if I, th- this is a note from my mom saying that I do have money. If you talk to these people, they'll give you money. <laughs> and I know there are also some people who really enjoy the card, you know, throwing down that, you know, Maybe you got the black card or the platinum card or something like that. But for obvious reasons, there's a certain satisfaction in having cash in your hand when you want to buy something. I'm also remembering uh, years and years ago, before it was, you know, the legal ticket resale market had been established. I had a jet game on the road with my dad. We hadn't gotten tickets ahead of time. My dad goes to a scalper. And the guy, you know, they're haggling over the price. And then my dad takes out a certain amount of cash, but less than what the guy wanted. And he says, well, I think it's just too much. And the guy says, okay, I'll do it. And my dad observed that once he saw the money, (laughs) that that guy was not going to allow us to walk away, that he was like, all right, there is a potential sale here. I'd rather have that money than to, you know, we were getting close to kickoff time. We'll lose that. So obvious reasons. There's a good feeling like people like having cash in their hands and the idea of Lightfoot to just throw up her hands and say, look, my city's just too too dangerous. Uh, there's, our police are too incompetent. We just can't keep public order. You, the citizen, now you have a responsibility to stop carrying around cash. Like, that's th- th- you know, that's an absurd abdication of her duties and her responsibilities as a mayor. Right? The purpose of government, more than anything else, is to protect our rights. And you have a right to not be robbed. But apparently that's too much to ask in Chicago. But hey, you know what, Greg? I suppose we should emulate their gun control laws. <laughs>
1: Isn't this the same mayor in the same city that decided that police officers shouldn't chase criminals unless there had been, you know, a murder or something? It's amazing well, they could ha-
0: sprain something, Greg. Um, <laughs> also, if they run, they'll breathe heavily, and I suspect that will increase emissions of carbon dioxide. <laughs> it's
1: amazing that more crime happens when you don't pursue criminals. Yeah, it's yeah. a weird theory, but it seems. How to can be these guys out.
0: think they can get away with this? Other than the fact that we let them get away with it.
1: <laughs> Good luck, Chicago. All right, Jim, on that uh, thoroughly depressing note, we'll uh, reconvene tomorrow. See you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks so much for being with us today. Do subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast if you don't already. And please tell some friends about us as well. We'd love to have them along as well. Thank you so much for your five-star ratings and your kind reviews. They are a big help to us. Please keep them coming. Get us on your home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us both on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Tuesday and join us again on Wednesday for the next... Three Martini Lunch.